My name is Chris Cherry. I used to be a spy. My name is Brie Castellini. I used to not cough every other word. And this is Burn Notice, a weekly rewatch of the USA television masterpiece Burn Notice about Michael Weston, a spy. Throughout this podcast, we will be rating each episode on whether it is A, an episode of television, B, a great episode of television, or C, a great episode of Burn Notice. If you want to know what complicated calculations go into these ratings, wait until the end when we'll explain them. Also... If you or anyone you know knows Jeffrey Donovan, please get in touch. You can send us questions, suggestions, compliments, and no criticism of any kind to our email at burnnoticedpodcast at gmail.com or to our Twitter at burnnoticedpod. And that is all burn noticed with a D because that is the name of our show. You tried to improv there and it fucked you up. It did a little bit. It's fine. We're good. We're going to move on. What are we moving on to, Chris? Let's move on to this episode of Burn Notice. Wow, um, just jumping right into it. Yeah, no, I'm going to jump right into it. So this episode, Season 4, Episode 6, Entry Point, aired on July 15th, 2010, which is my mom's birthday. I wonder if we sat down and watched Burn Notice for her birthday, because she loves this show. I, wanna, I was going to say she loved this show because it's not on the air anymore, but then it makes it sound like she's dead. And she's not dead. Like, <laughs> she's alive be- and may even, present tense, love this show. Exactly. Although it should be very clear, if like my mom dies between when this episode is recorded and when it go- goes out, boy, will I have egg on my face. And probably tears. Also tears. But all that's it. Tears and eggs, nothing tears else. Tears and egg, nothing else. This episode was written by Craig O'Neill, who is not a, is Craig O'Neill not quite a friend? He's not anything, but he's someone that we like a little bit. We have had no yes. contact with Craig O'Neill. We have no. We've we've only had contact contact with a single writer and like a PA. Yeah, I don't think anyone else has actually talked to us yet. I tried to get the costume designer. I mean, it's no avail. Okay, but if Craig O'Neill murders my mom between when this episode <laughs> <laughs> is recorded and when it goes out, boy, will we have egg on her our face. <laughs> anyway, this episode was uh, directed by a man named Jeffrey Hunt. Uh, This is Jeffrey's first and last burn notice. He's gone on to direct for shows like CSI, Riverdale, and Roswell, New Mexico, which I know is a show that you're watching. I love it. Well, I can't currently watch it because both seasons I have already completed and third season probably won't be out until like 2022 because of the... Yeah, because we live in uh, the apocalypse. Mm-hmm. But in researching his career, I like made a bunch of amazing discoveries, which all come down to the fact that the most recent thing that he's done is he has directed 15 episodes of a show called Dwight in Shining Armor, which I don't know if you know, is a show that it exists, and I need to talk about it. Okay. Where is the show existing? The, okay. This was my first question. Where is this show existing? And I looked it up, and it's a show that airs on... BYU TV. And I was like, what's BYU TV? I never heard of that. It's Brigham Young University Television. (laughs) I was going to say, I, oh no. Yeah. Oh no. So, and then I, in my researching, I got sucked into the world of Mormon television. Brie, I could do a whole podcast on Mormon television. Um, so BYU TV started in 2000. 
but like did kind of nothing for like 10 years at which point they hired a new like kind of director of content who did focus group testing to figure out what religious people like when watching television and wildly it turns out that they like to be entertained this was a big breakthrough for this network and so this guy finds a script from a student at, at byu presumably and says this could be a show uh, the student doesn't get to write it, of course, because he's a student. So instead, he hires a man sure. named John Christian Plummer. But John Christian Plummer gets together with these Mormons and puts together a show called Granite Flats. Granite Flats is wildly successful. At its height, it is pulling in 500,000 viewers an episode, which is way more than BYU TV's previously most high-rated show, Love of Quilting. <laughs> Which regularly pulled Wait, in okay, less hang than on, 10, hang on, hang on. Wow, that's, Granite, that's I watched most of the pilot of Granite Flats. What Granite that's Flats amazing. is... Wait, really, sorry, can I interrupt to ask a clarifying question? I'm sure, so go sorry. ahead. It seems like you've prepared a lot here. I have. Uh, my question is, so is it like a local access channel? Is it a like, they have, streaming platform? It's streaming. Is, like, They're actually is, one of the first uh, television networks to stream live. Got it. And also, but, but like, I think they've you, gotten picked do, up to a lot like of other networks. Do they have like a Roku app or something? Yeah. Like, is it like a Roku app or is it a desktop? I think it's probably like, a Roku I... app. I did not do that. I went through the website to watch it. But, like, through the website, you can watch, like, live television. You can watch all their shows. All of this nonsense. Um, okay. So, they create this show called Granite Flats. Granite Flats is a Cold War mystery type show that takes place in a small town in the 60s and is largely about MKUltra. Which, if you don't know what MKUltra is... It is a proven-to-exist CIA mind control program that was highly researched during the Cold War. It is the subject of a lot of major conspiracy theories. Um, because it seems that the head writer on this show, John Christian Plummer, seems to be into a lot of conspiracy theories. He also, among other things, does not believe that Shakespeare wrote all of his plays. And apparently this is part of the show. I mean, that's a thing that a lot of people believe. And Where the thing are you about- getting all this information? Like, are you, did you put this all together? Yes, did I put this all like- together. <laughs> okay. I might Continue, write a newsletter please. about it in the future. We'll see. So John Christian Plummer is so excited because he is, he is a- writer and producer who's mostly worked in sketch comedy but and is slightly talented and has delusions of grandeur and so when these mormons come to him and and say we're a small independent television network you can do whatever you want he's like hell yeah so he creates this he show, Granite Flats. That in front of the Mormons. I would just like to point out that there is a potential historical inaccuracy here. I doubt that in the face of all of these Mormons, John Christian Plummer said, hell yeah. I don't know. It's possible. Because mm, one thing about John Cri- they would- Christian Plummer <laughs> is that John Christian Plummer is not a Mormon. John Christian Plummer you, you is a practicing this? Buddhist. He explains Wow, this- Okay. <laughs> John Christian Plummer is a practicing Buddhist. He and the producer, the executive producer of the show, end up talking about this a lot because the executive producer, the one who did all the focus groups and found out that people want to be entertained, did mission trip missions trips in Japan and thus knows a lot about Buddhism. So together they wow. create this Cold War MK Ultra show. It's almost weirdly Twin Peaksy. The tone is weird as hell but it's incredibly popular i think one of the reasons that it's incredibly popular is that they have this idea that 
maybe perhaps people aren't black and white. There's a great interview where in one paragraph they say, like, we tried to we tried to let our characters exist in the shades of gray and they aren't black and white. And in the next paragraph they say, but we don't want anyone to be ambiguous. They know right from wrong. <laughs> I think this is perhaps the tension of the show. Um, but the show is wildly successful because Mormons are just happy to watch anything. So much so that in season two, they can like cast names. At certain points of the show, this show has had Christopher Lloyd, Carrie Elwes, and Parker Posey were all on this television show in the three seasons that it ran. Um, Sorry. Sorry. What? Yes. Oh, no. It gets better. So here's the thing. After three seasons, the show gets bought by Netflix to be streamed on Netflix. It streams on Netflix for three years. However, they don't make any more episodes because the show gets canceled. There are two reasons why the show may have gotten canceled. The first reason might be because the show was costing the network 80% of the network's budget. 80% of the network's budget was going to produce this show. The BYU TV? Yes. Not Netflix. Even though they got bought out by Netflix, Netflix wasn't like Well, Netflix, I think Netflix bought the episodes to stream. They just wanted content. I don't they didn't want to produce the show. They just wanted they just bought the got episodes. It. Cuz it's like here's a show that some people like and has some faces that we recognize. Sure, this seems like an easy buy. But also, you know how the show is like ever so slightly morally ambiguous? Sure. Turns out BYU doesn't like that. <laughs> BYU TV wants to frame itself not just as like family friendly in the sense that like everyone's all slightly Mormon, but Mormon, but they want to actually be like family friendly. They want to make family shows, so they cancel. How do you know that? that how do you know that BYU is like this is too? This I isn't... read multiple articles about this show being canceled. I think we have... And, and and there's, like, a quote somewhere. Yeah, there's a quote from, like, like the head of BYU TV. Got it. There's a lot of, like, we thought a lot about this. It's, like, really... It's really difficult because we know people like the show, but it's costing a lot of money, and we want to really reframe. I also read about this in articles about the other show, the show that brought me to this, Dwight and Shining Armor, because this is the show that they start producing instead of Granite Flats. I, I, I have the uh, the key art and description all up. I've been I've been quietly researching BYU TV in the background. Exactly, it's tyrant. wild. Um, <laughs> is this also made by the same no, Buddhist? No, this is made by a diff- a, a married oh, couple. Oh, so they 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 break with their their Buddhist buddy? Yeah, no. I think, yeah, I think part of the problem is that, like, this guy is making shows that aren't Mormon enough. So they get these, I'm presumably Mormon married couple, to create this show. Now, Dwight in Shining Armor, the premise of this show is that it's essentially a Sleeping Beauty riff. Where, like, the main character accidentally awakens a warrior princess, essentially. And, like, her wizard companion a thousand years from when they went to sleep. And now it's modern day. And, like, the joke is that, like... These are, like, medieval warriors that have to, like, be in, like, a modern-day Gen Z high school. The Wikipedia article for Dwight and Shining Armor makes a big point of pointing out that 
the main character is Gen Z, which is presumably why in the episode itself, yes, I watched this episode too, he does not like carbs and only eats organic strawberries. He also seems to have two friends who are kind of the best friends in any teen show, which is one one black girl and then a gay best friend, except okay. they're Mormons, so they can never say that this character is gay. But he's incredibly gay. And also the one black girl who's the one person of color character in the entire show. Uh, Granite Flats, by the way, also had one person of color character in the entire show. But also the thing about this show and the premise of the show is that like it's a Sleeping Beauty riff, but they're Mormons. So like the idea that he could have kissed this woman like is impossible. So he literally falls through a hole and his lips land on her lips. Mm. That's how the show starts. I've seen the I scene. I mean, I it's will wild. say it's le- it's less fucking rapey. It than is the less rapey. I will give them that. I kind of wish. Here's the thing. I think they part of the reason they have this gay kid is to make the lead kid seem a little bit more straight because he already seems kind of gay because he's Mormon. <laughs> and like, but it would have been better if like the lead was late gay too. They all should be gay. Like, I think that would have been more interesting, but, like, they're Mormons, so they can't. The show is not very good, but it is kind of cute. I think if I was, like, 11 years old and Mormon, this would be my favorite television show. It's got real Power Rangers vibes. It's goofy as hell. Um, But I think there's, like, some smart ideas in it. But it's, like, it's a goofy, it is obviously way cheaper than uh, Granite Flats. Meanwhile, John Christian Plummer, the, the, the Buddhist, films, like, a reduced budget pilot for like a new version of his show like a spin-off show he like even gets christopher lloyd back at a very reduced rate byu tv does not pick up this show nor does anyone else as far as i can tell wait that this show is which one again this is granite flats i've got back to granite flats okay the, I was with john christian because, plummer because um, according to the dwight and shining armor wikipedia page as of march 2019 it's one of the most expensive series ever made by byu tv that's wild it looks like shit <laughs> At least Granite Flats looks kind of good. Like, it still looks cheap as hell, but it looks better than fucking... Although, like, I only watched the pilot. It's possible that, like, the budget has gone up. And, like, I saw... I watched trailers for all four seasons, and, like, it did seem like they are upping their special effects budget and stuff a little bit. Chris, we're we're 17 minutes into our Oh, I'm almost done. Episode. So I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to need you to find it an exit to this. Rant. I am almost done. And I, I trust me, it won't be worth it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I have to say it's already kind of been worth it. OK, but it will be worth it. So John Christian Plummer moves on and starts writing Hallmark Mystery Channel Mysteries. He writes a series of movies on the Hallmark Channel called Mystery 101. And I know about this because he's interviewed about it for a website called MyDevotionalThoughts.net, which is like this very Christian website that is very poorly made. The interview like starts with a big block of text in red comic sans. (laughs) It's horrifying. This woman also cannot interview to save her life. She does not know how to interview. She does not know how interviews work. She is just having a weird conversation with this weird man 
who she doesn't even know that he made this three-season television show. She just knows that he makes Hallmark movies. And so in the course of the conversation on this website in the middle of like nowhere on the internet, they start talking about his other show that he did, Granite Flats. And he mentions that like, yeah, I worked on it. My family worked on it. And they get in this weird discussion about child actors, about how a lot of child actors are bad. But he was happy because all the child actors on Granite Flats were good. And like the woman agrees, yeah, child actors are bad. And then he explains, of all the four kids that were on Granite Flats, the only one who's still acting is my son. My son is still acting. He's actually doing pretty well for himself. Um, This fall, he's going to be on this TV show called Looking for Alaska, based on John Green's book. And And the woman's like, oh, yeah, that's why I seen you talking about that. I look forward to hearing from more about you and your son, Charlie Plummer. His son is the lead on Looking for Alaska. Wow. His son is by far the most famous person in his family. His son was on all three seasons of Granite Flats because he was just finished being on Boardwalk Empire. He was in like a Ridley Scott movie. He's done so much shit. The whole time... Like, there's this actual famous person in the middle of this weird Christian non-famous world. And, like, it's just so wild to me. And, like, there's a picture of him with, like, his son, who I've seen before because I've seen Looking for Alaska. Like, this clearly famous person. And it it blew my mind. Anyway, I wanted to to talk about all of that because it's more interesting than this episode of Burn Notice. Did you know that John Christian Plummer... Uh, was a produ- a post production producer on the whitest kids. Whitest you kids, know. you know? Yeah, he was. What? He was a post production career. Producer. Yeah, no, that's what incredible. he said. Like he used to do a lot of weird sketch comedy stuff. That was how he got his start. He was also an actor in a short film called The Assassin and the Spy, where he played the assassin. Oh, and not the spy. Nope, not the spy. Let's anyway. Let's talk about the assassin and the spy in this week's episode <laughs> of Burn In the premise of this episode according to IMDb, is while Michael and Fee try to foil the heist of a priceless antique sword, Sam and Jesse try an interrogation trick to get information out of Kendra. And with that, 20 minutes into our recording, I think we should get into the weeds. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I was just in the weeds. Right, you were in different weeds, though. You were in Mormon weeds. I watched multiple episodes of Mormon television for no good reason. But, like... It's wild. Did you, I am fascinated did you by them? all of this. Did you enjoy them better or worse than this episode of Burn Notice that we watch for our podcast? This is about the same. Let's get started. All right. In the weeds. So. In the weeds. In the weeds. Michael and Jesse set up Kendra in a dank bunker type situation for interrogation. Uh, Jesse is like ready to go in. He's like gung ho. And he wants to put the fear of God in her. And Michael's like, calm down. And explains that, like, they're not just going to, like, threaten her life or scare her. They're going to, like, threaten her with rendition, a.k.a. selling her to some even worse guys who will definitely torture her. But this doesn't work, though, because when they're explaining that we're going to send you to, like, some really bad guys who want you, they will torture you. She starts slamming her head into the table. And, like, oh, they're going to do this to me? 
and she just like slams her face, her forehead into the table over and over again until they stop her to prove that she is not torturable. And I love it. Can I say, I really like this actress in this episode. She's fantastic. Not enough that I would ever, ever in my life watch Numbers. I would watch all three seasons of (laughs) Granite Flats before I would watch Numbers. See, that feels unnecessary. Did Numbers do an episode about MKUltra? I don't know. It's it's been a while. I tried to start rewatching it and then I got distracted. Shakespeare theories. Um, but yeah, I think she really kills it in this episode. I think she's like, she's very good, good at being like kind of a psychopath in a way that like sometimes they cast people on this show to be like crazy and they're not good at it. I think she is sufficiently good at it. I and agree. It, yeah. Because she has like that really nice, like gravelly voice and like she's oh my so God, calm she does. and pretty. And it's just like she like lulls you in and then she just like snaps. It's so cool. So Michael calls an audible and yanks Jesse out of the room. And then Michael explains that Kendra is a predator and that in order to take advantage of her overconfidence, Jesse needs to be prey. So this is the decision that they make. So Michael buys Sam lunch and explains that. He's going to have to pretend that Sam is going to have to pretend to be Jesse's asshole boss so that Jesse can be the put upon lackey for Kendra to manipulate. Sam is annoyed because, as we know, he genuinely loves interrogating and threatening to torture people. I don't think he likes torturing, but he loves to threaten it. He uh, loves he interrogating. He definitely people. likes torture. We've seen him That's true. do we have seen quote him unquote, like advanced interrogation. Like, the show likes, likes to, to make people. a hard line. Like, torture is, is for sissies and, the thing and bad is, people. But the advanced thing interrogation about is. This character trait is that it's remarkably consistent. That, like, sure. They that always. Sam loves fucking with people. That, like, no, that he, like, specifically likes torture. And it's weird because, like, it's not consistent with, like, anything else about him as a character. No, not at all. But he likes torture. Like, if Fee liked torture, that would make sense because Fee is, like, a little bit wild card. But, like, Sam is, like, rule of law guy. But also he likes torture. If you wanted to, you could read something into that about, like, the difference between, like, violence that the state perpetrates and violence that, like, non-state actors perpetrate. But I don't think Bernos is going to do that. So why should we? No. So Sam's anyway. sad he can't torture. But yeah, Sam is sad he can't torture. But, so, but Michael insists, insists that this is the play, and also that Sam needs to, needs to keep an eye on Jesse because Jesse is still new to their whole steez. Anyway, then Fee shows up to take Michael to a referral gig. Apparently, just some dude who sells fake handbags needs help with something. Shouldn't be a lot of trouble, which means, of course, it's going to be a lot of trouble. But what if it wasn't? What if there was an episode that was just like Fee and Michael running errands? I think we've talked about this before. We would it would almost that. be like the one episode with that one bad guy where he makes him do a bunch of errands. But like with Brennan. Brennan. But like instead of it being this sort of like high stakes shitty thing, it's like literally just an episode where we watch them do a bunch of errands. And they're all like low key spy errands, but they do like five of them in an episode. I think that would be amazing. I would love that. Or I, what I would really love is for the case of the week, quote unquote, to be not a case, but they have to do something like really mundane. But because they're all like fucking paranoid psychos, they like make it way more complicated than it needs to right? be and like use spy tips, but for like really mundane purposes. Like Madeline needs help doing something. And so like they all like team up because they're all bored to like go help Madeline and like they way overcomplicate it. And it turns out it's just like fine. That I would love that. Right. 
I would love it if this show was better. Fee and Michael meet Buddy. <laughs> Buddy, who is like a high-end forger of like clothing and accessories. To Fee's delight, his house is full of shoes. That is another you know runner that is pretty consistent. Yeah, Fee, Fee's one thing is that she, well, her two things is that she loves exploding and she loves shoes. What I will say about this, and like maybe it's a small detail, but I... I really genuinely like this, is that Fiona just likes pretty shoes. She doesn't care if they're knockoffs. If they're pretty, she likes them. And that's like kind of a breath of fresh air because, you know, a lot of times when there's like a a forgery plot line on a show where like a woman is concerned, they'll be like, oh, I didn't even realize that this was a knockoff. How terrible. And it's like, who gives a shit? It looks the same and it's cheaper. Like, of course you should like it. Or like the women who use the knockoff are considered like trashy or whatever. And I appreciate that Bruno's is just like, ooh, pretty shoes. Exactly. Well, because like Fee lives outside the law and outside labels. (laughs) Um, Anyway, apparently he's pretty sure Buddy, the guy, is pretty sure that his last client is trying to kill him because someone attempted to electrocute him in his jacuzzi. Buddy is certain that, like, they're going to strike again. This client that Buddy had had Buddy forge some very specific buttons and leather work. Buddy only spoke to him on the phone, but he was able to bribe someone at the phone company to find out where the call came from. So he knows where the call came from. Because the thing about Buddy is that Buddy is really excited about the fact that, like, spy shit is happening and he wants to be involved like at the end of the episode he's like he says that he's so happy that like he has a gang of mercenaries to, to, to do his bidding <laughs> but he's like kind of a scumbag but like a harmless scumbag well he's kind of like uh sebastian is that his name kind of no 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 what you, you know like the the gun runner who's like obsessed with them and is like a hardcore fiona michael shipper y- yeah a little bit he's what was his name I can't believe we've forgotten. How have we forgotten this character that we love? Seymour. It's Seymour. Seymour. I knew it was an S. He's kind of like, this guy is sort of like, if you combined Seymour and Barry. Yeah. That's who this character is. That is the exact combination of people. Anyway, so someone's trying to kill him, but he doesn't know who, but he has a location for them. They track this phone number to an abandoned building. Which turns out to be not so abandoned. It's wired with like an antenna and security cameras. And it turns out explosives. The whole place blows up in the first of many explosions in this episode. This is like, there are a lot of explosions in this episode. And Fee doesn't even do most of them or any of them. I can't remember. But there are a lot of explosions. This place blows up. This, like, abandoned building blows up. And Michael's like, we need to call the fire department. Because, like, there's definitely something in there that they're trying to burn. And we need to save this building so we can get the thing that they're trying to hide. If it's burn, I gotta notice it. Exactly. So they call the fire department. Meanwhile, outside of Kendra's cell, Sam yells at Jesse cartoonishly, cartoonishly loudly. Like, it's really loud and, like, really goofy. Whenever Sam does, like, any sort of alias, especially one that isn't Chuck Finley, it's always goofily over the top. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. like Sam and also Bruce Campbell has never not once heard of subtlety. <laughs> and you know what? Um, I appreciate that about him. Yeah. So then Jesse uh, goes in to ask Kendra questions, and she immediately takes the bait. Like, so fast, she immediately takes the bait. She, like, hears yeah, this that, cartoonish this guy something... yelling at him and going, like, yeah, no, this is all on the up and up. Uh, this is this kind of bummed me out, because I, th- I thought it would be really fun to, like, 
watch Jesse work her over and also watch like a actually competent assassin person like work him over back. Like I thought it was going to be more interesting. And yeah, and more, then it wasn't. Like, it would be harder. No, it wasn't. It's like she's immediately, yeah, you're right. She heard, she hears Sam Axe say some buffoonery things. And then it's like, we should team up. Here's all of the information you need to know. Like, the whole point is that she's overconfident, but boy, is she overconfident. Like, geez. So, yeah, she tries to convince Jesse to turn on his bosses. And so they negotiate a deal where each of them tells the other who they work for, which is like the thing that Jesse wants to know. It's like weird. It's like, it doesn't seem like a really good trade for her. No, it really doesn't. Because doesn't she know Michael Weston? I mean, she doesn't know Michael Weston. But also she Oh, I guess that's true. She's somebody who was in town for an unrelated reason. Exactly. And Michael got on her. Because she's working for someone in the war for profit scheme. Exactly. Yeah. So, like, yeah, she doesn't know who Michael is. Got it. I guess that makes sense. Exactly. Um, so is the only Sam... person, only bad guy in the universe that doesn't have, like, an intimate relationship with Michael Weston. Exactly. So Sam, and then Sam calls Michael to let him know that Jesse's doing a good job, and he's found out that Kendra is a cleaner, which, like, obviously she's a cleaner, but seems to right, be like the she thing. she was literally there to clean up. Yeah, it's like, they're acting like this is new information, and it's like, I guess? Seems like something they knew. Anyway, so Michael, once the building has been, like, saved by firefighters, Michael goes into the burned-up building, posing as Randy with an R, who is an obnoxious guy with the county fire department and is able to buy just enough time to grab a suspicious looking resin mold and like make a half-assed escape this scene is wild too because like the whole bit of the scene is that michael is not trying <laughs> like he is like actively not trying i will say to this episode's strengths and weakness no one is trying not one single person in this episode is ever trying. He just like walks in and is like, yeah, I know I'm I'm Randy, I'm an asshole. Like, yeah, I know, call. And he grabs the thing, I gotta go. I don't know, I'm Randy. <laughs> Although I do really love the joke that he's Randy with an R. <laughs> it's it's a good joke. It's I mean, it's classic O'Neill. I one thing, I'm kind of sad that O'Neill and Tracy haven't co-written anything in a while. Like it felt like they were like this unstoppable duo, and then ever since like late season two they've been split apart and haven't yeah. been able to work together since and i feel like i'm like kind of they're sad both about it. worse off for it i don't think o'neill is i think tracy's work worse off for it i mean it he took him too, a, but a also, while longer this episode is sloppy as hell oh yeah this episode is not a good episode just spoiler alert it's yeah. like i will say i think it's a little better than last episode but it's still sloppy as fuck it's sloppy as hell yeah I think it's, like, more fun than last week, but sloppy as hell. But it's also, like, trying to do less. Like, last week was trying to do more and failing because it was so sloppy, whereas this episode is not trying to do anything. No one, no one in universe at or out is ever trying. Anyway, so, Barry, but not Barry, Buddy, <laughs> you know, the guy who's like Barry, Bunny isn't happy with how this is going. He was expecting commando action. But Michael and Fee explained to them that they figured out what's going on. Whoever was trying to kill Buddy is trying to make a replica of an antique sword that belonged to Alexander the Great. So they could swap it out with the real one, which is going to be on display at a software launch, which is wild. <laughs> one of the things about this episode that makes me so sad that it kind of sucks is that, like, that's a wild premise. And, like, so far outside <laughs> of the thing that they normally do on this show that I'm happy about it. It's like, oh, my God, that's great. Right. Well, I wanted this to get more like national treasure. Heisty. Yes. And it didn't. No, it did not. So the idea is that 
this like person is definitely going to steal this sword and swap it out for a fake sword. So they have to catch the thief at the at the software launch. As to who the thief is, well, they, uh, they make a point. Michael and Fee tell Buddy that they have someone they know who could find out about who this person is that sells stolen antiques. And that guy is not Barry. Yeah. <laughs> it's Sam. It's... They really set up Barry it feels like it feels like a well, scene. Well, Barry isn't Barry isn't a fence. Barry is a money manager. No, but it's always like normally it's a lot of times like. But that's the thing though is that like he's usually managing money for people who do fences and stuff. I know for a fact that like they have asked Barry about a fence before. I feel like maybe Barry was supposed to be in this episode, and then they couldn't get him, and so they handed like Barry's stuff to other people. Because like yeah, Sam does do research too, but like. This seems like a Barry research. Sam says that there's only two guys who do this kind of thing. One is in Russian prison, and the other one is someone that no one has ever seen called Monsieur Glisson, a.k.a. Mr. Slippy. <laughs> Everyone says Mr. Slippy a lot. In- oh, no, it's Mr. Slippery, actually. Not Mr. Slippy. I was going to say, is it if it's Mr. Slippy, I think it would be a very different episode. That's true. It is Mr. Slippery. Everyone says Mr. Slippery a lot in this episode. So, can I say really quickly, one of the reasons that this episode is so disappointing to me is that, like, everything about it is screaming that someone is lying. And in the end, at the end of the day, someone is lying, but it's so much more minor. Like, there's they're playing up this mystery of who Mr. Slippery is, but, like, and it feels like everyone is being set up for a much bigger con. And this starts early on where Sam makes a point of saying, hey, there's two people, this one person at a Russian prison and Mr. Slippery. I thought at this point, I thought, oh, the reveal is going to be that it's not Mr. Slippery. It's the Russian prison person. But no, that was useless information. Yeah, like the, why the even mention it? The trick is that it's, it's Mrs. Slippery. Yeah, yeah exactly. No, it's, it's, it's a very strange thing. Honestly, though, as we're talking about this, I'm realizing how much I wish that Michael Horowitz had written this episode. No, Michael yeah. Horowitz doing a reverse heist episode with yeah. like a, uh, an, a weapon forgery. That would have been much like better. Craig O'Neill ab- should have written have- last week's. Yeah. Anyway, so Michael decides that they need to convince the tech mogul software guy that is displaying the sword that he needs more security. So Michael and Fee approach this guy. His name is... Ken Bockledge, not Ken Blockage, but Ken Bockledge, which is incredibly frustrating because I'm probably going to say Ken Blockage like five times. Uh, He's played by the guy that plays the magazine magnate in Ugly Betty. That makes sense. That's the other thing is that he's supposed to be a software tech guy, but he plays like an old money magazine guy. You're right. Like he's like an old money business guy. He's not like a tech guy. He's not like a. Yeah, he definitely didn't start the next Facebook. Like, yeah, he's not like a Bill Gates motherfucker, you know? Like, it's weird because we have a stereotype of these type of guys. And, like, we did at the time. We had stereotypes like that since, like, Angel was on TV, at the very least. Because I remember they have a tech guy. (laughs) Like, so it's weird that this guy is, like, this kind of businessman. Anyway, so the two of them just, like, walk into his business and, like, cold approach him and say, someone is going to steal your sword. Then Ken, his assistant, and his head of security all point out that this was a terrible approach. And it makes them look sketchy as hell. And he's like, you're probably con artists that are trying to steal my sword. And, like, yeah. 
you do like at no point did they like normally when they do things like this they like make themselves like a whole bunch of backstory they usually like yeah or or they save them from something like you know yeah. they, they stop a and like they eventually kind of do of that sort of but like at the beginning like they make no attempt at like making themselves seem legit they don't even call sugar to talk to his friends <laughs> to like have a reference like they don't have one they literally just the two of them walk in wearing their same like black suits that they wear whenever they want to look vaguely security-ish and seem to just be winging it and i don't know if like why is it because michael doesn't want to do work is that why no one is trying because no (laughs) one cares about this case because it's like is michael like annoyed that there's no actual stakes i mean this guy buddy might get killed but it's like and so, like, he's just, like, they just walk in. And, like, every single person that they talk to, the three people who work at this company, it seems that there is total four people who work at this company. <laughs> in this large building. but And, like, three of them are standing in front of him saying, you seem sketchy. Like, you two seem sketchy as hell. You seem like con artists. Go away. And then they walk away and they're like, well, that didn't work for some reason. <laughs> For so what they we just cannot possibly comprehend. Exactly. But they're pretty sure, Michael and Fee, they're pretty sure that like whoever is going to steal the sword already works for the company. So what they need to do is get HR records. So they break into the HR department so that Michael can steal a bunch of the records and store them on a file sharing site, which we'll talk about later, <laughs> in order to figure out like if there's anyone on this like list of hr that might be like stealing the sword as this is going on an hr lady shows up and then fee distracts her by saying that she's there for a job interview and then the hr lady also gets annoyed that her her like ruse is bad she's like no you're not like every every person in this business is mad at michael and fee for having shitty out like shitty characters Whenever they try to do something, someone yells at them for being like, no, this is dumb. And, like, and so when she, like, tries to walk past, like, Fida starts yelling at her. And then she, like, throws a coffee cup or something. Just, like, and then, like, Michael, they just run out. And it's, like, it's this weird scene. Like, no one, like, one of the things that we love about this show is that, like, people are being competent. No one, not one person in this episode is ever competent. Not one. It works out in Jesse's case, though. Yeah. Like, despite uh, it not being interesting at all, the way he does it, no, it works it on does. her. Um, anyway, so Michael looks through all the HR records and believes that Mr. Slippery is a guy named Andrew Deans, a security guard with a record that's a little too spotless. Uh, as we know from watching Burn Notice, that if anyone has a clean record, they are def- definitely a serial killer. So they stick out his house, and when he leaves, they break in and find a frankly stupid amount of evidence that he is the guy. Like, they literally walk in and it's like, well, here's a book about Greek swords. And here's, like, how to... Here's, like, a book called Stealing Things for Dummies. It's, like, literally... There's, like, a pile of evidence on, like, a table. At this point, you would be like, well, this man is clearly being set up. This is a frame job. They Someone just, like, randomly threw a bunch of evidence in this guy's room. Or, like, he's a, definitely a red herring or something. Because why would he just have all of this evidence lying around on a table? If he is, again, the whole point of Mr. Slippery is that he's never been seen. No one knows what he looks like. 
Like, he is such a good thief that no one knows anything about him. And anytime he gets close to getting caught, he kills everyone. And it's like, he's like a master criminal, Mr. Slippery. And also, apparently, he has all of the evidence piled up neatly on a table to find. And so I definitely think that this guy is not Mr. Slippery. And it turns out that he is not Mr. Slippery, but we'll talk about that later. And anyway, then Fee, while they're doing this, Fee realizes that she missed a call from Buddy. And so she listens to her messages, and it turns out that Buddy is on his way to meet them for a meeting that they definitely did not set up. <gasps> so oh no, Michael and Who Fee set up the race to save Buddy, and they arrive just as he is about to enter a shack like on the docks that is very clearly rigged to blow. So in order to save Buddy, Fee, should we shoot them, Glenann, decides that she should indeed shoot them. So she shoots Buddy, like, in the shoulder, and, like, he falls off the pier into the water, and, like, they run up to, like, stop him from going into the building. And then they just blow up the shack because there's a bomb in there, and, hey, we want to see another explosion. Yeah, well, you you failed to mention that when they, like, fish him out of the water, Buddy's like, oh my gosh, did you, somebody shot me? And Michael goes, yeah, it was a really clean shot fee. The oh, first yeah, thing like, Michael does in response to this man who's like, I've been shot, is to say, is to compliment his lady friend on yeah. how good her shot was. And to, be, and to be very clear to Buddy, like, yeah, no, we shot you. <laughs> you should know that we shot you. You trust us, right? We shot you. Anyway, next is an absolutely infuriating scene in which they approach Bocklidge again and show them their evidence on, like, Andrew Deans. And then Bocklidge's own, like, assistant points out that like they just admitted to breaking into their building twice mm-hmm. and so maybe they aren't trustworthy in but return they keep telling them about it so yeah. they're either the best possible criminals or just the worst possible security consultants they they are in return michael tells them that he can show how mr slippery is going to steal it steal the sword by showing them a trail left in infrared paint in the showroom there's like, in fact, there's like one bit where like Michael has to go out of his way to call it like IR paint just so that Bocklidge can be like, what's that? And he goes, it's infrared paint. <laughs> uh, but the thing, and so like they get like an infrared light and in the like showroom and use it to show that indeed some paint has been laid on the floor. And that is proof that everything that Michael and Fee are saying is definitely true. Cause and definitely the only not something person... they planted there themselves. Exactly. Yeah, not, they did not themselves plant this in the two times that they have admittedly broken into the building. Like, he, the guy, Bocklidge, just buys it. And, like, his assistant is just standing there like, this is crazy. Don't trust them. And, like, she's right. Yep, she's uh, 100% right. She's 100% right. Anyway, so Michael explains to Bocklidge that they can't just call the cops. Yeah. Even though it's, it's our obligatory daily mention that you can't call the cops. Exactly. Even though it's incredibly obvious that this guy Deans is going to steal the sword, there's not enough to convict him. Even though there's like a mountain of evidence in his thing and like in his room, all this. They don't have enough. They have to catch him red-handed. And they can't tip him off in the least because he might just blow everyone up because he likes to make people explode. So they have to let him steal the sword. This is what he, this is what Michael is telling this man who already kind of suspects that he is a con man. No, we have to let the thief steal the sword. And then like, in order to convince- I don't remember it being this wild, but like this retelling of it. Is yeah, this is this is truly wild. In order to convince Bocklidge, though, Michael tells them that uh, Michael tells him that they are currently at this moment 
tailing Mr. Slippy, Slippery. Except they aren't. He's lying. He's like, we're tailing him right now. And then, like, they walk in and we're like, oh, we should be tailing him. And it's like, yeah, you should be tailing him. <laughs> so they, they, they tell Sam that he's going to have to get off uh, babysitting Jesse duty to tail Mr. Slippery. But also... Like, Michael is worried about leaving Jesse alone with Kendra. So, Jesse interrogates Kendra and asks for another tit for tat. Uh, but Kendra offers a new deal. If he gets her out, she will pay him $300,000. Uh, Jesse sort of play acts at fretting for a bit, and then he, quote-unquote, takes the bait. So, Kendra gives, like, gives him, like... Her bank information, essentially, says here. Which is there's money, crazy. Which because is crazy. the way that this resolves, like there is so many other possible explanations. There's She's so much the going on here. Pers- oh my god! No, everyone is Ugh. so dumb in this episode. She like she gives him a bank account number that has like all the money that she got for this gig, and like Jesse gives Sam that bank info, and then Sam says that he'll have Barry look it up because Barry exists, even though we won't see him. Well, then Sam's gonna have Barry do it while he does Mister Slippery surveillance. Um, then Jesse has this bit where he asks if it's weird that he misses Sam. And it's kind of cute, but it also is kind of weird. Like, Sam's like, yeah, that's kind of weird. <laughs> this is almost a runner. Like, by the end of the episode, it's kind of a runner, but it's a weird runner. Like, yeah, because it is kind of weird. It's like, is it weird that I miss you? It's like, yeah, it's weird. And I don't it's know if, like, the bit... guys being dudes, Chris. Let the guys be dudes. Because, like, it seems like... By the end of the episode, they're trying to do a thing with Jesse where, like, he is being welcomed into the man group. But it's so, like, half-assed that, like, it doesn't quite play. And, like, we'll get to a little more of that later. But it doesn't quite play. And it is weird that he says that. Even if he does miss Sam, it's weird that he asks if it's weird that he misses him. Like, it's all weird. (laughs) Uh, It's all weird. It's weird all the way down. Anyway, so Michael and Fee bring Buddy... To Bockledge's place, like, to the place of business, like, where the theft is going to go down. Because Buddy needs to be their antiquities expert. I don't know why. Yeah, like, I, well, I, oh, some... I think it's it's that he can identify his own work, and so they need to determine if it's already been if it's switched already been out switched. or not. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, and so they explain... No, that I will give this episode. I'm not going to give this episode a lot, a lot, but I will give it They that. explain to Bockledge that this is an... Ant- an antiquities expert, and he will make sure that the sword is real. Um, he is very bad at this because B- Buddy is very incompetent at everything except Yeah, they, they also haven't established anything about, like, no, this guy will be able to tell you if it's real. And it's like, well, how do I trust him? Because exactly. he broke it into my place of business five times. Exactly. It's weird. But by now, Bakulich is just buying all of this. Like, totally. <laughs> he has gone from, like, reasonably skeptical to, like, believing everything. So, like, yeah, Buddy confirms that, like, yeah, this is this is the real sword, not the fake sword. And then uh, Michael gives everyone marching orders, and including putting Fee on perimeter duty, despite the fact that she's wearing her new party shoes. So, Michael and Buddy wait for the robbery to go down, but then Sam calls, uh, because this guy, Andrew Deans, that he's been tailing, shocker, isn't the thief. Uh, in fact, he's been blown up. <laughs> And after they find this out, they find out that the sword has already been swapped and a security guard is dead. Fucking Buddy and Michael are standing in the middle of this room with, like, the fake sword and a dead guy. And then Bockledge <laughs> comes in and then, like, his assistant points out that, like, the sword has been swapped and also here's a dead guy. And they're just standing there. Like, these people clearly did it. And, and Bockledge is like, 
Yeah, no, they probably did do it. And then a bunch of bombs go off in the in the room. And in the confusion of the bombs going off, Michael and Buddy escape. You know, you would think that like they don't need the like the 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 Mr. Slippery doesn't need the bombs at that point because it seems like Mr. Slippery has successfully set up somebody else for the crime. Yeah. It seems wild that Mr. Slippery thinks like, that these has guys the bombs are like, go off at this point. Well, actually no, the yeah, bombs need to go off. Do they? Yes, because of Mr. Slippery. Oh, is that how they plan. get out? Yeah. Oh, right. Because I'm just saying, like, as far as Mr. Slippery knows, these fucking people who are, like, on his tail are absolute buffoons. Yeah. Michael and Buddy evade the security guards in the smoke-filled building as firefighters pour in. So Michael calls Fee and realizes that Mr. Slippery definitely dressed as a firefighter right now, and this is how they're going to escape. So Michael runs outside, and Michael decides Which is crazy, because, like, that's quite the costume change. It's a... Big old costume change. But it's also, like, a big sort of, like, bulky costume, so it's easy to hide a sword in it. Right, but the last time that... Because we're about to reveal who Mr. Slippery actually is, and the last time we left that person, they were literally standing next to Bocklage. Yeah. Did Bocklage not see them leave? I assume that they have the, like, sword and the fireman outfit, like, stashed somewhere close by together. Mr. Slippery is definitely dressed as a firefighter right now, and this is how they're going to escape. So Michael runs out... And decides that the best way to figure out which firefighter is a fake firefighter is by shouting help and seeing who doesn't turn. And so they find the firefighter who doesn't turn and surprise, it is the assistant woman, who the, the woman who kept being like, hey, these guys are definitely bad guys. It turns out she's the bad guy. And that's why she was complaining about how bad they were, not because they were incredibly incompetent. God, can you imagine if like these two absolute blockheads wandered into your like very right? dialed in heist and are like, thank God, this is going to be the easiest fucking like frame job I've ever done. Right? Oh my God. There's this moment... Wherein, like, Michael and I think, is it Sam? Or I don't know. Talk about the fact that they have all forgotten her name. <laughs> and, like, I have forgotten her name. Like, they barely, I think they may have said her name once. It's entirely possible that they decided that she was going to be the bad guy at late in the writing. We're like, oh, we never named her. <laughs> and then didn't bother to go back. So they're like, oh, what was her name again? It's Selena. Okay. Mr. Slippery is actually Miss Slippery. This is what constitutes a twist. The doctor was the mother. (laughs) Anyway, there's a car chase, but they catch her. And then Fee says, like, I didn't see this one coming. It's like, okay. She's like, wow, that was a wild twist. Like, was it? No, it wasn't. Because the thing is that, like, this episode is clearly setting up, like, a twist. There's so many different ways that it could have gone. The reveal that I kind of thought was happening was that literally none of these people, like, the head of security, the assistant, or Bocklage had anything to actually do with the business and that they were all <laughs> Mr. Slippery. It could have been anything. The point is that, like, for a thing like this, you're assuming a twist. It could have been anything. It could have been, like, the Russian person. It could, like, like anything to explain why this company that seems to be a big deal top, like, software company seems to have four employees. Like, and why it's all, we're just seeing these same three people all over again and they seem to be really gullible. And, like, or not gu- like some of them seem to be gullible and not gullible. It's like this weird thing where like anything to explain why everyone is being incredibly stupid. But no, everyone's yeah, just being incredibly stupid, including Andrew Deans, because we in the next scene we meet with Buddy again, who is in his hot tub and is happy that everything worked out. It turns out that Deans was in on it originally. Ms. Slippery had hired Deans to do the swap for her. 
which means he was really just hanging out with all that evidence in his like building and like yeah he's not like a master criminal but it's also like why is she trusting this person this clear imbecile who's just has a lot of evidence lying around in his building like that wasn't well, I even think like, maybe she was hoping that like she could frame him but then these I mean, other two before yeah came in. maybe that's it so maybe she did frame him okay that makes sense. Either way, it's all weird. It's really unclear because everyone is being so stupid in this episode. So, yeah, and Dean's was going to swap the sword for her, but she killed him when they were on to him. Then Buddy is slightly creepy to Fee, but then gives her a really nice knockoff handbag, so it's fine. And everything's fine. And then Sam tells Michael that the bank info that Kendra gave him leads to an endless a chain of accounts leading to accounts to accounts with no end. It's untraceable. However, what they can do is make it look like Kendra's payment was retracted from her employers. So they can convince her that actually there wasn't any money, that bank account that she gave Jesse. Mm-hmm. Jesse, the guy that's holding her captive and exactly. interrogating her. Yeah, here's the thing. It sounds like they went through the work of like actually taking the money out of the bank account or making it look like the money is not in the bank account, even though Jesse just goes and tells her. I don't know if he shows yeah. her documents or anything or what. Even if he did, like, it's like Photoshop existed in 2010. Exactly. I know this because I was using it in 2005. Exactly. Like, it's clearly, like, she's not even looking at the bank account herself. Like, she's just trusting Yeah, there's Jessie. nothing about this. Yeah, exactly. Completely. Which, why? It's because Jesse was yelled at comedically yeah, by no, both. It's, like, wild. Anyway, she gets so pissed off that, like, her employers haven't paid her that she wants revenge. For them not paying her. She's like, so she's like, okay, fine. I'm going to tell you everything I know. And if they ask why, say it was me and I was angry. And she explains that she's in Miami to clean up a bank job that went wrong for like some shadowy organization. So Michael decides that the thing they need to do next is figure out when this bank job happened, what it was that they were trying to steal. Because they were trying to steal something from a safety deposit box. So it's like, well, what's in that safety deposit box? That's next week's clue. And that's what they're going to do now. But not before all the boys crack open a cold one, some brewskis, beers. <laughs> and then and then Jesse says that he's going to miss talking to Kendra. And Michael tells him that he could really use some friends. <laughs> and that's how it ends. Like with them all just sort of like drinking beers. And again, it almost feels like there was supposed to be a runner about like Jesse kind of becoming more part of the group. But it's such a like yeah. last because the thing is that like at the beginning, like it's at the beginning of the episode, like Michael's like, Calm down and drink a beer. And, like, by the end of the episode, Jesse is calmed down and is drinking a beer. Like, that's, like, I think yeah, an arc just, that's supposed to be happening, but it's it's, it's weird. It's very weird because, also, the only person that has vibed with Jesse even a little bit since the beginning of him, like, joining their little crew is Fee. And, like, Fee yeah. and Jesse have barely interacted for the past, like, three and a half episodes. No. It's so weird. And they clearly have chemistry. Yeah. But I guess Fiona's not one of the boys. Yeah. And also wasn't in enough of the uh, Madeline House scenes of last episode. Yeah, I don't know. That's wild. But anyway, that's the episode in which everyone acts like an idiot. All right, let's uh, talk about some spy tips. If we must. We must. Uh, Bureaucracy is a spy's best friend. The overlap between city county and state emergency response creates confusion that can be exploited at a crime scene. If you wander in off the street and claim jurisdiction, you buy time wrapping yourself in red tape. And we've definitely seen this before. Have we? Really? I feel like this happens all the time. Like, I feel like they're always playing with jurisdiction. He's 
but he he is never really no usually it's like different departments this is the first time that they've talked about like there's fully different organizations that overlap oh uh, i'll give you that do you know we should keep it Yeah, i thought this was useful yeah i thought this cool, was let's useful. keep it now this one is interesting i don't know how i feel about this one for a spy in a rush to steal large computer files quickly file sharing sites are a dream come true File sharing has none of the drawbacks of email. There's no size limitations on uploads, no waiting for files to bounce through multiple servers, and no electronic uh, trail leading back to the account on the receiving end. The only drawback is whatever well. you post can be seen by anyone in the world. But since nearly every visitor on these sites is busy trolling for illegal music and movie downloads, chances are good no one will think twice about whatever boring intelligence you've left there. This seems wild. What the fuck is he talking about? If you're in a hurry and you're a spy, put your stuff on mega upload. Did you know that cloud computing has been around since the late 1990s? Like cloud storage? No, I mean, that, that makes sense, actually. Everything's been around a little bit longer than you think it has. Uh, Dropbox came out specifically in 2008. He could have used Dropbox and not have to worry about any of those things. Also, file sharing sites get shut down all the time? Yeah. Like, all the time. Also, I- like, they, it doesn't, you can't do it quickly because, like, the reason that it takes a while to do, like, email is because you have to upload the attachment. You still have to upload it to the file sharing site. Well, but I you're think just, instead of email. The problem with email is, like, is, like, size limit. The sending part? No, it's, like, literally email sometimes has, like. And also, the fact that there are no limitations on uploads is clearly whack there's definitely limitations on uploads yeah no totally but it's also kind of like what's this different in 2010 i don't think it was again dropbox came out in 2008 yeah but i mean like we're not talking about dropbox we're talking about like mega upload or like napster but why is he putting it on mega upload instead of why isn't he just putting it in his dropbox who's paying for his dropbox well the only drawback is whenever you post can be seen by anyone in the world why would you why would you do that when you have like a more secure account that's all yours yeah but it's not like attached to your name or something that doesn't have to be. Anybody can make an email address. I can make an email address I mean, under any true. fucking name and identity that I want. I mean, this is true. And this is like Here's wild. my like, thing. Yeah. Is I that like usually that, like, we... If you like are on some like torrent site and like as you're trying to look for like episodes of Game of Thrones, there's just a bunch of like spy top secrets just hanging out. <clears throat> you download the wrong file and suddenly like you're got like, you know, all these like spy secrets. It's wild. Yeah. Like, usually I allow outdated references to be spy tips because, like, I can't remember. But I can guarantee that in 2010 there were better ways to get rid of files, like, off of a big computer. And I dispute the technology at every level on this. Yeah. No, it's wild. I think this is bullshit. And anyone with a computer can tell that it's bullshit. I also just have to say, though, one thing that I'm really grateful for is that Burn Notice didn't exist in the time of blockchain. Can you imagine how much oh my goddamn God. blockchain broiness would be on Burn Notice if it was oh out today? Oh my God, there'd be so much. Anyway, so that's nothing. There's a reason why most thieves work at night. Darkness makes it easier to commit crimes, but darkness also makes it harder to see where you're going when you're trying to escape. Infrared paint is invisible in daylight, but can be seen under black light or with the help of IR goggles. Uh, useful if you need to find an exit in pitch black. I think that's useful. I didn't. No, I think it's I don't useful. think I. Yeah, it's not groundbreaking, but it's useful. All right. I should point out now that uh, Burn Notice needs to get 
all of the remaining chips right. The stakes are high. Hydraulic arms are safety features that slow the speed a door can close to minimize injury, but wrap a belt around them and they can be turned into an improvised lock. I liked this one. Yeah, that's that is useful. It was useful. It was like it was it was low tech and something that like anyone can do. I was into it. When you're interrogating someone with nothing to lose, you have to give them another reason to talk. If you're looking to motivate someone who's cut off alone and convinced they're going to die, you can't beat revenge. This is also kind of nothing. I don't know. I think this one's actually interesting to me because I like the turn because like we didn't allow the one about like, hey, make them think it's going to get worse. I like the idea of like it's not about convincing them that like their circumstances are going to get worse. It's almost like convincing them that they can still get something out of this. And yeah. like one thing that's really a really like easy emotional motivator is giving somebody revenge. That's valid. And I think okay. you can interpret that in a lot of ways. All right. That's fine. All right. Well, we'll keep it then. Anyway, that's still not enough. Yeah, not that's that it matters. That's four spy tips. So we don't have five spy tips. Nope. Do we have spycraft over violence? Do we? Okay. Do we have either? It's bad. I don't think th- there's not really a lot of violence. But there's but also, also not a bad lot of spycraft. They're, s- they're so incompetent the whole episode. My God, hearing it read out loud the way that you did, I. I mean, our rule. I is mean, comparatively, spycraft. Yeah, it's that's true. Spycraft and like they do do a lot of spycraft. I guess it's just like all of the spycraft is on the level of hey, look over there. Basically, and then everyone saying, "No, why are you doing something weird?" I don't know. What do you think? I mean, comparatively, there is more spycraft than violence, which does like, technically pass. And it's sort of like, do they save the day with spycraft? And I think part of the part of whether or not you decide that they save the the day due to spycraft is whether you not you think Michael shouting help is spycraft. <laughs> well, they also figured out the like the the fact that it was a knife from that mold that they got and they did find through breaking and entering the employee yeah. who was definitely part of the thing. Exactly. Like they, they figured some, some stuff, stuff out. Yeah, they yeah. did some I think we have to give it to them, but yeah. they're on thin ice. Is there an alias? Michael's alias is that he's an incompetent person. Yeah, there's nothing. There's he doesn't nothing even have a here. name, does he? No, he doesn't have a name. There's just like, here's the other thing too. It's these same suits that they always wear whenever they're trying to be like security people or like fancy, like fancy security people. And they're super cheap suits. They look so low rent. They look like background characters in an episode of granite flats that are pretending to be working with mk ultra they look like nothing are fee and sam used well fee gets to do a a little explosive but like so many more explosives happen that aren't her but here's the thing she does get to shoot a man she does get to shoot a man and it's a good shot it is a good shot um yeah and like sam what's sam doing he yells goofily at one point babysitting yeah yeah i mean that is and he drinks a beer at the end. Yeah, with his not boys, a lot. he kick, he kicks back with the boys. Yeah, is that is that enough for either I mean, of them? I will give it to Fee because she shot, yeah. but that means that it doesn't count as a full thing anymore. So yeah. Jesse, oh, I don't, I don't think, yeah, Jesse has to be interesting enough to be a main character in order for this to be right. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, is he? 
There's a better argument no. for this week than last week, but also Barely. not really. Yeah, he doesn't like, like he he makes the fact that he gets so much information out of her. They play it off as like, wow, this kid's really got the the, the gams. He's got it figured out. And in reality, like if you actually look the at gams? the text of the scene, yeah, you know how you have your gams, and you if you get them, that's good. Um, but like if you actually read the text of the scenes, it's nothing. He he does nothing. I could do that. Yeah, no, it's wild. I don't know. It's and also, it doesn't distinguish him in any it particular doesn't. way. The only reason I mean, he's there is because Michael's busy and she already knows who Michael is. It seems like there's a weird... Again, it seems like they're trying to do a runner about Jesse and the rest of the team, but, like, it doesn't It doesn't work. It's nothing. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's anything. Like, he, it, he, he might as well have been, like, a rando that they picked up off the street and then we'll never see again. Right, yeah. Like, nothing about Jesse's character is revealed. No. Like, at least so, yeah. last episode, he had, like, his righteous anger, and he teamed up with Madeline to emotionally manipul- manipulate Michael into taking a job. That's true. This week, he was just there. He was just there. Well, yeah, so this is not a great episode of Burn Notice. And it's not a great episode of television. <laughs> Certainly not. Was there any yogurt in this episode? I you don't believe so, no. No, I don't think there's any yogurt. Um... Yeah, no, it's just kind of nothing. I feel bad because, like, I feel like in the last two weeks, her boys have let us down. I know. Craig, Michael. You're our boys. You're our boys. This is a No Boys Allowed Burn Notice podcast, but, like, we'd let you be on our podcast. Yeah. Because you're our boys. You're our boys. Jason Tracy, if you want to be our boy, too, you can. Like, yeah, they're, like, getting, and they're all getting, like, shown up by, like, Rashad Razani. I know. And and Matt Nix. And Matt Nix. Like, those are the only two people that have gotten a great episode of television so far this season. Oh, my goodness. Wow, what a top-tier Ma- which we are living. Truly. Do you want to, like, look at who the next up writers are, or do we want to keep it a surprise? No, I always like getting surprised. I want to know, like, the day of. That's fair. Uh, well, with that, there's nothing left to say but to thank Vincent E.L. for our theme music. If you want more from Vincent, go to vincentel.bandcamp.com. And until next time, bye. I want to crack a cold one with the boys and talk about our games. <laughs>